1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of fight back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. There was an interesting turn of events in the Ontario election campaign this past week. While the Doug Ford PCs continue to lead in voter support, the latest Nanos poll shows the Liberal Stephen Del Duca has gained seven points in the race for which leader would make the best premier. At the same time, both Doug Ford and NDP leader Andrea Horvath have dropped a bit in their personal support. On the day the leaders, including the Green Party's Mike Schreiner, were preparing for their Northern Issues election debate, Libby was joined by our Recovering Politicians panel to talk about the campaign and Stephen Del Duca's momentum filling in for Howard Hampton, Cameron Holmstrom, NDP strategist and consultant at Blue Sky Strategy Group. In for Lisa Raitt, David Tarrant, vice president of National Strategic Communications at Enterprise, and Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario finance minister. It's
2: actually to his advantage, people underestimating him over this last couple of years, especially. Um, and he recognizes his style and his mannerism, and he's a bit more wooden than most. But he's articulate. He's certainly smart. His real challenge is not to come across as being too smart, being more folksy and a bit more open and warm uh, to those uh, that he communicates with. And that's hard to do over the camera and over the TV. But on a one-on-one, he's pretty good. But all that to say, he has nowhere but to go up. I mean, the party was in doldrums. It was at its worst point ever. And he'll be seen as a star, even, even if he only becomes uh, the leader of the opposition, the official opposition. That'll still be a big turnaround and a big win. Um, yeah, so uh, I think people, when they come to appreciate and understand what he's about, then they come to appreciate, this guy's actually a pretty serious guy. He's not a light. He does have a lot of depth. And, uh, yeah, so once you start to scratch the surface, oftentimes you're disappointed by, by there's nothing underneath. Well, this guy has plenty underneath, and I think that's a, that's going to give him a lot of kudos, especially when they put him against uh, Doug and others during the debate.
3: David Tarrant, I am thinking back to the twenty fifteen federal election, and Justin Trudeau gained a lot by being underestimated, and it helped catapult him from third party to the prime minister.
4: Yeah, you know, let me. I'd say I don't think anyone. Uh, it's not. I don't think anyone around Doug Ford. Is underestimating any of their opponents. I mean, in the case of, of, of Mr. Del Duca, you're talking about a, a former senior cabinet minister in Kathleen Wynne's government. I mean, Charles knows them well. They, Kathleen Wynne and, and Charles and, 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 Stephen Del Duca were a big part of, 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 that Wynne liberal government. And, and so of course he's going to be an, an experienced operator, uh, with experience in, in government. Um, you know, the, I think the real challenge though is, is, uh, I think Charles kind of let something slip there about like, is he running to be the win the election or is he running to try to beat out the NDP for second place? And, you know, and, and respectfully, I think to, to, to this poll or that poll, uh, um, you know, what, what the people voter, Ontario voter is going to look at is actually who has the most optimistic plan for the future. And, and today's, I think what you see is, is a message that's, that's pretty backward looking and negative from the Liberals. So I'm interested to see how they use the last three weeks to try to kind of, Put some forward. that's a little more
3: optimistic. Cameron Holstrom, Andrea Horvath has lost a couple of points. Not a not a serious drop, but just looking at the personalities and and the way she's coming across. What advice would you give her? I mean, uh, as as we've been saying, Stephen Del Duca is not exactly exciting or folksy.
5: No, this is true. And I think for Andrew, she needs to keep her focus on the front of the line. I think the big difference here and this is kind of interesting in the comparison to compare from 2015, because I was on the ground during that one. And one of the most frustrating experiences for me in that campaign was hearing Justin Trudeau throw out all kinds of big, big promises that we knew would eventually be broken. I think of electoral reform is probably the biggest one, but I'm seeing the same kind of things coming from the liberal campaign this time. You no, know, the one my wife is a teacher, and when she heard about the promise to cap class sizes at 20 students across the board, like, yeah, that'd be fantastic. We would love to see that. You're putting a promise in the window saying I'm going to do this, knowing full well you're not likely going to be able to do it. And I guess to me that maybe it's a cynic in me looking at that and thinking of that, but it's like that doesn't make for very good policy, and it, it, at the end it makes it makes people more cynical about the whole process. And I think that issue of trust here is big. Because Doug Ford's got a lot of broken promises. Mr. Del Duque, as has been mentioned, sat in cabinet in the Wynn government. Lots of broken promises there and lining up for more. Whereas Andrea Horvath has that kind of trust with people. So it's for her keep that focus on what she, on what she has to offer and be positive in that sense.
1: Cameron Holstrom, NDP strategist and consultant at Blue Sky Strategy Group. David Tarrant, vice president of national strategic communications at Enterprise. And Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario finance minister. They were in conversation with Libby on Tuesday. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We Canadians pay some of the highest cell phone prices in the world. One reason is the concentration of huge players, with that club of media megaliths set to get smaller with Rogers' takeover of Shaw Communications. Rogers' executives have moved to find buyers for Freedom Mobile, currently owned by Shaw, because they expect that to be a condition for getting the merger approved. But when members of the Competition Bureau looked at who Rogers planned to sell to, they ruled that it wasn't good enough, that it would hurt consumers and lead to higher prices and worse service. Freedom Mobile is lower priced than the others, and Shaw, the Bureau argues, has consistently challenged the big three telecom companies, Rogers, Bell and Telus, which have about 87% of Canadian subscribers. In addition, an application to block Rogers' purchase of Shaw Communications has since been filed by the Competition Bureau. Joining Libby to discuss this important issue for consumers, Ben Klass, Senior Research Associate at the Canadian Media Concentration Research Project, Matt Hadfield, Campaigns Director for Open Media, and Ellen Roseman, Consumer Advocate and Journalist.
6: It is true that Canadians have always lagged the rest of the developed world in terms of our telecom pricing and telecom service because we have these three national carriers. So way back in the Harper days, he recognized that we needed a fourth carrier that would be equal in size and that could help alleviate some of these concerns and tried really hard to bring an American company up here. Then, um, Anthony Lacavera brought in Wind Mobile in two thousand and eight and he had to sell Wind Mobile to Freedom Mobile. So when he sold it about five or six years ago, it had a little over a million subscribers. Now it has two million subscribers. It's getting to that point where it's pretty strong. What is Rogers gonna do with it? Lacavera would love to buy it back. He's All over the place saying that he wants to be 90 and own that company again. He's really sorry that he had to give it up in the first place. And apparently Rogers has not even met with him. And we're not sure even if he would be allowed to take it over under the terms of the Competition Bureau. But that's something. And in the meantime, uh, the Competition Bureau says when it's trying to block the deal that since it's been announced a year ago, uh, Freedom Mobile has started kind of slacking off in terms of its innovation, in terms of its pricing. It's not really the same kind of customer service that it used to do, and that's a shame because their customers shouldn't be suffering because this deal is dragging on. Matt,
3: what's your view? Well, I think it's really
7: great to see the Competition Bureau taking this stance. Um, we were concerned that they were going to approve the deal uh, with Freedom being spun off, and uh, Unfortunately, the Competition Bureau has quite a limited mandate in Canada compared to other countries. Um, They're not able to do sort of proactive market studies and really go in and try to make improvements in competition um, on their own accord. They can only look at these deals and they can only make decisions within a certain framework. So it's great to see that they are attempting to block the deal and that they recognize that spending enough freedom won't fix the job. The trouble with spinning off Freedom is they they will not necessarily have the resources to compete effectively against Rogers, Bell, and uh, TELUS, and really in, apply the same kind of competitive pressure that um, Freedom Mobile has to some degree uh, on the other competitors. So we're, we're glad to see this decision, but I think it's important to keep in mind that the best case scenario here is preserving the status quo we have, which is not good enough. I mean, we look at our it's cell phone bills it. in Canada and we know we pay too much, you know, just go to another country and come back here and think about it.
3: Ben Claus, I mean, I was looking at some of the reactions from Bay Street, and, you know, like, they, some of them seem to be barely paying attention to this. It's like, oh, we, we don't think this is going to work. This, it's just the Competition Bureau. Like, we, we're big business. We do what we want.
8: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, this has been uh, an unexpected development for uh, a lot of the people who watch this uh, type of um, issue, myself included, and uh, the history of these types of transactions has been, uh, you know, that they generally go forward with uh, divestment or some sort of conditions attached. Um, but when, you know, the Competition Bureau, when it's looked at um, issues in telecom in the past, sometimes they've issued fines. Um, but I don't believe they've gone so far as to sort of tackle a structural issue at a scale uh, like we're seeing right now. Um, so I think you know the business business community was largely, uh, I think, expecting this deal to go through uh, with the wireless division being sold to a competitor. But uh, you know, the competition bureau, um, I think, makes a very strong case uh, that that just wouldn't work, you know, and to spin off uh, this uh, you know wireless competitor that I think in the past couple of years has really started to accelerate the improvements, and it's at the root of the improvements we've seen in this market in Ontario, BC, and Alberta the Competition Bureau were to allow them um, to spin off uh, at this point, uh, it would really be like setting this policy that Ellen pointed out has been sort of developed over the past decade and more. Uh, It would be just sort of setting us back to square one, and to me that's not how good public policy is made, and I, I think the Competition Bureau deserves to be applauded for standing on principle here.
1: Ben Klass, Senior Research Associate at the Canadian Media Concentration Research Project, Matt Hatfield, Campaigns Director for Open Media, and Ellen Roseman, Consumer Advocate and Journalist. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight back. Coming up after the break, how to manage your investment portfolio in these challenging times.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. Toronto Mayor John Tory phoned in to fight back on Thursday to discuss a number of issues, including his decision to run for a third term and what he's campaigning on this time around. Libby also asked the mayor about the current provincial election campaign and the new Michelin guide for Toronto dining. And the conversation also included City Council's debate on whether alcoholic beverages should be allowed in City of Toronto parks, as well as new plans to hire private security officers to help combat the popping up of homeless encampments, as has happened in recent years
9: we're continuing to make every possible effort with regard to people experiencing homelessness to find them a safe place to live. And the notion that we would have security guards, we have security guards in lots of places. Um, but the notion that we might have them in order to make sure that our parks are not used uh, for encampments and that they are kept safe and for the use of people. I mean, I'd like, you know, I, when you mention all these elections that are on, I think that's what this is really all about. It's about politics because, you know, I, I would challenge any of the people who are questioning this to explain to the seniors you know who, who would lose their programs in the parks, and who did in previous years, or explain to the camps for kids that can't go forward uh, because of uh, you know because of the, uh, the existence of encampments, uh, or just explain to families that want to use these parks, uh, you know how it is that other people uh, seem to have a right to have have rights that are that are you know superior to theirs. Parks are for everybody, and we are making a huge effort as a city uh, to uh, give people safe indoor shelter. Uh, and we worked very well at a park like Dufferin Grove, not too far from where you are, uh, over the last year helping people get safely housed, but security guards were part of that, just in, in order to keep everybody, including people experiencing homelessness, safe. And so I, I, I just am not, you know, going to be intimidated if that's the intent here, nor is the city government by people who, I think no matter what is done, uh, will not be satisfactory to them.
3: Moving right along, uh, and here's something that uh, is coming up, before, Well, it's coming up to a committee first. We're expecting a report. It, it's a big issue for a lot of homeowners and renters trying to enjoy the summer. Leaf blowers. What about banning those really noisy and un- environmental gas-powered leaf blowers? Well, the
9: uh, group, the staff group that are going to advise the committee on May the 30th, they're looking at all of that, and they're going to have uh, some things to say. Among other things, I think they might have something to say about the sort of times of the year and the times of the day that leaf blowers can be used, whether, whether they're electric or, or otherwise. Um, and they're also going to have some things to say about how we can toughen up the laws that relate to the modification of car exhaust. We get a lot of complaints about that too, you know, these noisy motorcycles and cars. And there is there are rules now that presently uh, preclude that uh, from happening, uh, but uh, they're obviously not tough enough, because there's still far too many of these noisy cars that race around at night in all parts of the city, and my office gets a lot of complaints about that. So this report will be coming uh, on the, uh, at the end of May, 30th of May, and it also is going to include the question of enforcement and how we can apply more bylaw and police resources, knowing they're scarce, uh, to uh, keeping peace and quiet uh, in the city, uh, because, uh, you know, while people I think understand who live in a big city, they're not living in Algonquin Park, but they still have the right to, you know, peaceful enjoyment of their uh, property and so on.
3: Final question. We're in the middle of a provincial election campaign. Your re-election is coming up. So first of all, are, are is there anything that you're really hoping to hear from uh, uh, any of the provincial parties or all of them uh, during this season?
9: Well, I'm, a non, I'm non-partisan. I'm I have right. been, since I've been mayor, I haven't yeah. been to a single partisan event, but I, I have written a letter to all of the party leaders, meaning the four uh, major parties, and I have listed for them some important questions that I think the people of the city of Toronto have on their minds, and that includes, uh, uh, you know, it includes, uh, first and foremost, uh, the shortfall we have from all the pandemic uh, expenditures we were uh, you know, having to make and the revenue shortfalls we had on transit and help from uh, the provincial government on that. Uh, secondly, affordable housing, where we need to have... Uh, you know, an absolute assurance that we're going to get the kind of support we need to do what we're doing by way of a significant expansion of affordable housing. And it goes from there to discuss uh, sa- safety and security issues because we have a plan that needs their help in terms of some funding um, and so on. But uh, the- these are the issues I have raised with them and I've asked them to answer uh, the five pretty straightforward questions that I asked uh, by the 24th of May. So that I'll be in a position to comment on those answers uh, before the election.
1: Toronto Mayor John Tory in conversation with Libby on Thursday. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. If you check your mutual fund portfolio on a regular basis, these have been difficult days, with the value of stocks mostly on the decline after unprecedented gains during most of 2020 and 2021. How to keep perspective on a retreating market and what it means for your retirement. To find out, Libby was joined on Thursday by Gordon Pape, editor and publisher of the Internet Wealth Building and Income Investor newsletters.
10: What is a very unique situation? Bonds are down, stocks are down, real estate looks like it's uh, starting to take a hit. Uh, we, I really haven't seen anything like this in about forty years. Uh, it really takes me back to um, the early 1980s when we really had a a situation which is even roughly comparable to what we have today.
3: What was the resolution back then?
10: Well, the resolution was a couple of things. I actually made one of the best investments of my life at that point in time uh, because what I did when the interest rates went up and bond prices dropped, I bought a whole whack of uh, Government of Canada long-term bonds And then when the interest rate cycle turned around, which it inevitably will, those bonds uh, went back up in price, and I scored a very nice capital gain. But that's not something I would recommend for our listeners to do now um, because it's speculative and people don't have a long time horizon. So I think now you need to um, take a very cautious approach, but not a panicky approach. I think what's important is that you presumably have a plan already in place and that you stay with that plan, and hopefully that plan involves some combination of um, good blue-chip dividend-paying stocks that are relatively um, shielded from what's going on in the general market. And I'm thinking like stocks like BCE. I'm thinking of the utilities like Fortis and... um, Canadian Utilities and Amera, uh, these companies are very solid and they aren't going to go anywhere. Nobody's going to expect them to uh, disappear from the scene. They're just going to keep paying their dividends. Price may go up and down a little bit, but you don't worry about it.
3: I've seen some recommendations uh, saying, you know, now may be the time to put some of your money back into Plain vanilla GICs, and apparently the best interest rates are in some of these new online banks. What do you think of that?
10: What you're seeing, of course, obviously, is the returns on GICs, uh, which, of course, are protected for uh, capital and interest uh, up to the amount of um, deposit insurance you may have, which, uh, if you're with the CDIC or the institution is with the CDIC, would be $100,000. Uh, the interest rates are better. Uh, you're better to do a ladder GIC. That is, you put your money into one-year increments over five years. So 20% of your money goes into one-year GICs, 20% into two-year, 20% into three-year, and so on. So if you have a GIC maturing each year, and if interest rates have moved higher, you can reinvest at a higher rate. That's a much safer route to go right now than investing in bonds. Bonds uh, have really taken a beating. I haven't seen a bear market like this in bonds in a long time.
3: Read an interesting column in the Globe and Mail, Rob Carrick. He also says that if you are heading into retirement or close to retirement or whatever you call it, but, but need some of the money, then make sure that you have liquid money for however long you may need it, so you, you're not forced into selling into a really bad market.
10: Yes, and that, that's very good advice to um, have some money in cash uh, to cover two or three years of expenses is, I think, especially useful right now. Uh, it means you don't have to be worried about what's happening in the market. You can just kind of sit back, not fret about the ups and downs from day to day of The Dow going up 500 or the TSX dropping 300. You just have the money there and you just ride the cycle out.
1: Gordon Pape, editor and publisher of the Internet Wealth Building and Income Investor Newsletters. I'm Jane Brown and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Bill in Toronto phoned about telecommunications in Canada.
5: They opened up the landline service for competition, I don't know what it was, like 15 years ago, and AT&T and Sprint and all the big players from the States came in. There were Canadian startups, and it was an epic failure. They all invested tons of money. They were here for a few years, and they, they basically died out. So I wonder, given the nature of the huge country we've got, where you have to join, go through vast swaths of land where they're making zero money and they've got to maintain mines and services. Uh, if you can actually even be competitive in Canada, if it's going to attract anybody else to want to come in and do it.
1: Walter in Hamilton also phoned in on our segment on rising cell phone costs.
11: As I recall in a last uh, federal election, Prime Minister Trudeau was promising to put in a ceiling on the cost of a cell phone for that same reason. It was mentioned here a little earlier that it's turning into more of a necessity than a frill. And he hasn't carried that until past election. When he ran in the first election way back, uh, he promised the same thing. He didn't deliver. Then he called a snap election and promised the same thing after that. And he still didn't deliver, so as far as I'm concerned, Trudeau has to follow his word and put a ceiling on how uh, much a company can charge the monthly services for cell phones. And uh, uh, not only that, he has a control over it, because he controls the CRTC, and the CRTC can put their foot down and say, okay, this is it.
0: And now,
1: Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Angelo in Toronto, who phoned about surgery he's been waiting on through the pandemic.
11: Maybe I've been waiting over a year and a half for a knee replacement. Uh, Last year, around October, November, I went back to see my family doctor and he said that he called the hospital. and They said they lost all my information. So he had to send the information back in again. You know, and I'm still waiting. I don't blame the doctor, please, or the nurse. God bless them. They're doing a great, great job. You know, they're all overworked. But I blame our leaders because we have no government. We have tax collectors.
1: 367 I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer.